Right, if you'd like to be seated. <laughs> the reading is taken from Exodus chapter, one, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Good evening, everybody. I'm Ruth. I'm part of the staff team here, and it's my pleasure to be here this evening. So we're into week two of our Bible Hero- Heroes season. Um, I'll be doing Moses, and if you were here this morning, um, Adam and Katie were talking about Moses and prayer. Tonight, we're going to do a bit of an overview Um, But we're not going to do all 40 chapters of Exodus just before you start to panic. Um, And we're focusing on one pivotal moment, but we're going to do a bit of a sort of overview as well. And the pivotal moment when everything changed, which Helen has just read to us. But um, before we do that, I think it would be a good idea if we prayed. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this man, Moses. This man that you took and used for your glory and your purposes We pray that as we look into his life today, that you would help us to learn things that we can apply to our own lives. Help us to learn how faithful you are and how your dealings with us are good. In your name, amen. So the first question I have for you is how patient are you? 
How well do you deal with waiting? Um, do you like everything to happen instantly or perhaps quicker than that? That's me, by the way. Have you ever wondered why you're sort of perhaps stuck in the same job or situation that you've been in for years and you question if God really does know what he's doing? Have you ever felt like that? Do you ever wonder if something you said or perhaps did years ago has somehow disqualified you from God's plans for your life and that you've just got to make the best of it because you've kind of, you blew it a long time ago? Or perhaps you feel like you're in some sort of holding pattern, a bit like when air traffic control stack people over Heathrow and you're forever circling your destination but you're never quite landed. I'm currently training to be a vicar and I've got one year left. Heaven helps all. Anyway, and I spent 27 years as a podiatrist working in the NHS and um, private practice, and it really wasn't my idea at all. That's not what I set out to do. It wasn't my life goal to treat people's feet. And I had many attempts to escape, and they were all thwarted by God. And now, here I am, embarking on something completely unexpected, but I can look back and see that actually some of the pieces, all of the pieces, are starting to fit together. It's starting to make sense. And Moses, in his life, did an awful lot of waiting before he did the, most of the things that we remember him for. So we're going to look at how God prepared him very carefully over 80 years to be ready for the task that lay ahead. So just let that settle for a minute, 80 years, it's a long time. So why Moses and what was the situation he was in? Well, the Israelites, or the Hebrews, synonymous really, for, for our purposes this evening. Settled there in Egypt originally because of famine in Israel. They'd arrived during Joseph's time. Now, Joseph's story is told at the end of Genesis. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, and he'd ended up in Egypt, and he'd risen through the ranks to Pharaoh's second-in-command. And he'd helped that nation prepare for a famine that God had warned him about. And so he'd provided food, and they'd built up stocks of food. And eventually, the um, Israelites came over there to find food. They stayed, and they started to multiply in number. And that made them a threat to the Egyptians, because they were getting very numerous. And now, it's nearly 400 years after they first arrived in the land of Egypt and settled, and they're in slavery and they're being very cruelly treated. But the problem for the Egyptians is that they're still growing in number. And Pharaoh doesn't like this because he sees it as a threat to them. And so he asks all the midwives to massacre any newborn baby boy, Hebrew baby boy, in order to control the population growth. So it's fear and paranoia that completely rule in Egypt amongst the Hebrew community. But those Israelite midwives are really rather clever, and they start covering for their mums. So in Exodus chapter 1, verse 18, it says, um, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let all the boys live? And the midwives answered, Pharaoh, um, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So basically, they covered their backs, which was really quite clever. And the, they are then blessed by God. 
God is pleased with what they're doing. And so the Hebrew numbers continue to increase. So, of course, Pharaoh's paranoia goes up a notch, and he ups the game and decrees then that all Hebrew um, boys, newborn Hebrew baby boys, should be thrown into the River Nile. He's really not a nice man. Moses is born into the middle of all this. But his mum is a bit of a smart cookie, and she protects him, and she hides him at home for three months. Now, any of you have had a newborn baby? I have no idea how she managed to hide a newborn baby for three months. But anyway, she did. And then as he gets a bit bigger and noisier, she realises that she's going to have to think of something else. And so she decides to make a basket out of, bull, uh, um, out of wicker or whatever and hide him in the bulrushes by the Nile. And it's at this point that Pharaoh's daughter sees him. She comes down to the river to bathe or whatever, and she sees him. And Exodus chapter 2 verse 6 tells us, Um, She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and she saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. She was no fool. She knew exactly who this child was and why he was there. But instead of having murder in her heart, she shows compassion for the baby. She takes a risk because she knows what her father has decreed. She stands up against that. Now, it happens that Miriam, who's Moses' big sister, is watching all this, and she's pretty bright as well. So she says, goes down to Pharaoh's daughter and says, I've got a really good idea. Shall I go and find someone to look after him for you? I can get you a wet nurse. And um, goes off and gets his mum. So Moses ends up back with his mother. But a bit later on, Once he's grown up a bit, Pharaoh's daughter takes him into the royal palace and adopts him. And he's raised as a prince in Egypt, in Pharaoh's household. It's a really good idea here just to notice God's involvement in this story right from the word go. And also that the Israelites still feared God, even though they were enslaved. And so God is active in Egypt. He's helping the Israelites to flourish And he's blessing the midwives. Also notice that there were quite a few quick, um, smart-thinking women in Egypt at that point. The midwives, Moses' mum, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter. They all took risks. They all followed their convictions. They all showed great courage, actually, particularly Pharaoh's daughter. And they showed compassion And as a result, Moses, that baby boy, is saved from certain death. So God's hand is clearly on Moses' life right from the word go. There's a sense of purpose here. There's a a hint of promise for the future. There are signs that God is still in control, even though this um, people group are in slavery. It looks grim, but God is in it in spite of that. And I think we can look at this from our own point of view and just take stock a bit. Look back, perhaps. Have a look and see where God is at work in our lives. It might feel really desperate where you are right now. But actually, sometimes it really pays just to stop and think, actually, where can I see God at work? Where is he still being faithful? Look for signs of his presence. Look for... Ways that he protects you and rescues you. 
Perhaps he's looking after you in, through illness or trauma of some kind. Have a think about some key people that have come into your life at key moments. Mentors or a spouse or friends. People who've really had an impact on your life that could only really have got there through God's provision. Or perhaps there have been some really unexpected blessings in your life. New opportunities or a financial gift out of nowhere. Something that's increased your trust in God. Something that's just said to you, yes, he really is there. He really is in my life. Many of us can look back over our lives and start to see how God has already been moving in, that, in those periods where we felt like nothing was happening. He's been working. He's been blessing us. Even though things don't look like they're changing, he's still there. He's still doing things. So don't give up. Sometimes it really pays just to take stock, to pause and have a look. Anyway, back to our story. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace. This is a privileged position. I've not seen The Prince of Egypt, but I gather the, uh, Disney, I think, made a film about it. It's, you know, he had a good life. He had all the trappings that went with it. And he is a million miles away from the conditions that his own people are living in. And it's clear from the passage that he feels quite conflicted about this. He's well aware that his life is different and that his people are suffering. And he can see that. He can see the slavery. He can see people being used and abused by the Egyptian slave drivers. And eventually, he snaps. And the result is that he murders an Egyptian slave worker who's been beating one of the Hebrews. The problem is that that was witnessed by some other slaves. And a few days later, they comment on us. So are you going to kill him as well? Moses realizes that it's now far too dangerous for him to stay within Egypt. He's this um, palace boy who's now a murderer. And so he runs away. He runs to Midian. And Google tells me that that's approximately 285 miles away, approximately. (laughs) It's a very long way when you haven't got a plane or a bus or a car or a train or anything like that. But it was far enough to escape Pharaoh's jurisdiction and his rule. Perhaps it was far enough for Moses to feel safe. So he goes to Midian, he settles down, he marries a Midianite girl, not a Hebrew, not one of his own um, clan. He settles down, he has a family, and he looks after his father-in-law's flocks. So this former prince is now a shepherd, miles from anywhere in the desert, married to a foreign woman. But God is still on his case. He can't outrun God and his plans for his life. Notice how much time has gone past at this point. Moses was probably around about 40 when he um, had to flee to Egypt. And another 40 years goes by as he's tending his flocks, having a family, settling down. And I think sometimes with scripture, with our Bibles, it's really easy to miss all the white space between the words and between the chapters. You know, we've, as far as this story is concerned at the moment, we've got to the end of chapter 2. But chapter 2 probably spans about 80 years. That's a long time. So it seems as though God is not in any hurry. But what looks like wasted time to us is actual crucial preparation. In a seemingly mundane occupation, a very lowly position as a shepherd, 
It provides Moses time to pause, to reflect, to learn to listen. Marriage and parenthood and family life are all great ways of refining character. They knock your corners off, smooth off the rough edges. And life away from the privilege of Pharaoh's palace would have been very humbling. So Moses is being shaped, formed and refined. And he's learning valuable lessons about himself and about other people and about his environment. There's some verses in Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it says this in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now you could look at this story of Moses and where he is um, now and think, what on earth was God doing? Why was all this going on? Why was so much time being spent? But time waiting is never time wasted, even for those of us who are really impatient. Many of the heroes of the Bible had to wait years before they entered into what God had prepared for them to do. We heard about Noah last week, who spent a long, long time building that ark, looking really silly in the process before God did what he needed to. Abraham and Sarah were both into their 90s before their son Isaac was born. King David was a shepherd before he became a king. Elizabeth and Zechariah were elderly people when John the Baptist was born. They'd given up hope too. Jesus, of course, spent the first 30 years of his life in more or less total obscurity in a small northern town in Israel, learning a carpenter's trade before his ministry started. So if you're waiting, you're in good company. Do you feel like you've been waiting? Forever? perhaps, for God's promises to be fulfilled. It can be really frustrating. You can feel fed up. You can even feel angry with God. I can remember feeling totally frustrated that none of my attempts to leave podiatry were successful. I had many, many heated debates with God about his agenda, his timing, his lack of pace, etc., etc., And I can tell you from my own experience that when you have those conversations with God, God is never the one that backs down. It's always you, no matter how angry you get. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, But it's okay to have the discussion. It's fine to have the discussion. God can cope. He knows what you're thinking anyway, so you might as well be honest. And I suspect on a lot of occasions he was just smiling at me going, yes, I know you think I've got it wrong. I know you think I'm taking forever. But actually I've got something much, much better for you. You've just got to learn to be patient. And I didn't like it. And that's where Moses is. He's learning, his pa- learning patience. So back to Moses. While he's been shepherding out in the desert, back in Egypt, the old pharaoh has died. And things are getting worse for the Israelites. And they've cried out to God for rescue. Exodus 2:24 says this. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God heard their groaning. And then one day, Moses is out doing his shepherd's bit. 
and he's confronted by something he hasn't seen before. He's seen, he sees a bush in flames, but it's not burning up. And that's the unusual bit. In a desert environment, it wouldn't have been that unusual to see um, bushes and bits of shrubbery in flames. But this one kept going. It wasn't reduced to ash. And so naturally, he goes up and has a bit of a look, a bit of a closer look. And as he approaches, he hears the voice of God calling to him. And as he responds, he's told that the place he's standing in is holy. And that the voice of, that is calling him is of the Lord God Almighty the God of his forefathers, the God that he's been brought up to um, know about and to respect, and that he's got to remove his shoes because it's holy ground. Now Moses is understandably frightened at this point. I think that's fair enough. And he hides his face away. He can't bear to look on the holiness of God. This is not normally what happens out in a lonely desert. But then God starts to explain why he's got Moses' attention how he's heard the cries of the Israelites for rescue, how he's taken pity on them, how he has plans to take them away from Egypt and their oppression, how he wants to give them their own land to live in, and that Moses is the one that he's chosen to work through to bring all this about. So let's just pause and think about that for a moment. Moses, quietly minding his own business, looking after sheep. All he did was expressed a little bit of curiosity about a bush that was burning. And now suddenly, he's in charge of a major mission to rescue around about a million men, women and children from their evil oppressors. And what's more, it's all going to happen back in the land he fled from, where he might still be wanted for murder. I suspect that at this point, Moses may have been looking fairly incredulous and more than a little scared and also, being really realistic about this for a moment, how do you go back to your family and explain that you're going to go back to Egypt into danger because you heard a voice from the middle of a burning bush? Your wife might just be justified thinking that you've been out in the sun a little bit too long. And so Moses' reaction is entirely understandable. He basically tries every way he can think of to wriggle out of it. He looks for reassurance. He asks for miraculous signs so that Pharaoh will believe him. And God says, yes, okay, I'll give you those. He reminds God that he's not very good at speaking in public. So God says, that's okay, I'll tell you what to say. And you can almost feel him getting a little antsy at this point, thinking this is not working. And when all else fails, he just says, please, can you send someone else? At which point, God gets just a little angry. But the end result is that Aaron's allowed to go too. So he basically, Moses gets picked and he has to take his brother along with him to help. That's so human, so incredibly human. And do you know what happens next is so amazing. Those brothers go to Pharaoh and they ask him to release the Israelites. And God goes with them as he's promised. He does perform miracles in the sight of Pharaoh. But of course Pharaoh refuses to listen. And we know the story Nine plagues later, in increasing intensity, he's still not changed his mind. He's stubborn, Pharaoh is. And so God says, okay, there's going to be a tenth plague then. All the firstborn, males, both human and animal, will die unless you let my people go and unless 
you, pro you um, take the provision that I'm making for you. God gives the Israelites protection from that plague. And after it has occurred, Pharaoh finally goes, okay, enough, go. And so they escape to the Red Sea. And they cross it in miraculous fashion and they start travelling around the desert of Sinai. And you can read the rest of the story in Exodus later. It's an incredible story of God's intervention in the life of a nation using one man to bring about change. And what fascinates me about Moses is that he's got completely normal human characteristics. Even though he's being chosen and called by God to do something that was really huge and really important. Moses was a complex man. He had a miraculous escape from death in infancy. And then he had an extremely privileged upbringing in luxurious surroundings in the palace. And yet he also had this really dark side to his nature. He murdered another human being in a fit of anger. And he was fearful. He exhibited fear on several occasions. He ran away into Midian to save his life. He was far too scared to look at that bush. And he was downright terrified when God spelt out what it was that he expected him to do. And then he swapped the trappings of the palace for the life of a shepherd wandering around the desert. But he also clearly had maintained links with his family back in Egypt. And he had, seems to have had a, a very deep sense of identification with his fellow Israelites, coupled with a strong sense of injustice of what they were having to endure. But you know, in spite of all that huge mix of characteristics and emotions, God saw in him a potential leader, someone that he could use and shape. And that gives me great confidence, and it should give us all great confidence, because God hasn't changed, thankfully. He still uses crazy, mixed up human beings to fulfill his purposes on earth. And unless all of you have got, you know, far better than me, that means all of us here. He can still see beyond the character flaws and the imperfections to the potential that lies beneath. He uses us in spite of the sin and the mess. He's taken a pretty messed up girl from Kent, trained her up through long years doing feet, and is now using me in ways I never thought were possible. And what I'm discovering time and time again is that in all the past highs and lows and the joys and the pains, those are the reasons that God can use me and use us for what he wants us to do. Romans 8, 28 is a really well-known verse, and it says, We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Nothing's ever wasted in God's economy, ever. Moses understood better than any other Israelite how the court of Pharaoh worked. And so he was the ideal person to go and negotiate the release of the captives. He'd spent years in the desert, so he'd learned to slow down and to listen. And then when God's call came, he was ready to listen, even if he still didn't feel equipped. And you'll notice as well that if you read on through Exodus, as I know many of you have, he still doesn't get it right. He still makes mistakes. He's still not perfect, even though God has him and is using him for what he had planned and in the same way that God prepared Moses, he prepares each one of us too. So don't lose heart. 
If it seems as though you've been waiting for a very long time, keep trusting. Keep learning. Keep watching for what God is doing where you are now. Keep listening for what he might be saying. Don't give up. God still promises to be with us. As we come to a close, um, Andy, could we put up the verses from Isaiah again on the screens, please? Thank you. We're going to come to prayer now and just take some time listening. And we just, if you'd like to focus on those um, words from Isaiah, it's not often how we would do things that God does things, thankfully. So let's, can we stand together and we're just going to take some time to listen. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for the stories that are in our Bibles of people who really struggled, who got things wrong, who messed up, and yet you used them mightily because you are God and you are in control. Lord, I pray now that you would just fill this space with your spirit, that you would touch people's hearts. That you just reveal to us where you are in each of our lives, what you're doing. Just give us a glimpse, Lord, into some of the things that you're doing. Let's just take space and silence now just to listen to God. people were praying before the service and they had some words from another of the prophets Jeremiah this time he said before I formed you in the womb I knew you that's God speaking and also the sovereign sovereign Lord you have made the heavens and the earth and by your great power and outstretched arm nothing is too hard for you we also had a sense that um Somebody saw a picture of a record that had been damaged, one of the old vinyl records. It had been scratched. Two things. One is that when a record is scratched, it will jump and it will keep repeating itself. So don't be afraid of keeping going back to God with what you would like him to do or with requests. And the other thing is that just because something is scratched and scarred doesn't disqualify it from use in the future. Past failures don't disqualify us. So in a moment we're going to sing again. And if you do want prayer for any of, if any of those scriptures or that picture of a record really resonates with you, do come forward and get prayer. Or if you feel that you're in a place where you seem to be waiting endlessly, come up 
and get someone to pray with you.
I will love 